When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Welcome everyone. It's Rewind to Raw. I'm John Pollock alongside Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. What's going on, John? You know, I, I I do notice more and more, you know, you say, um, I'm John Pollock, you know, whatever, whatever. Then you kind of leave that little pause before you say hello to me. Uh, it's nice. I like it. It's like a nice little pacing technique. Definitely deliberate. Definitely something I have thought about many, many times. Uh, but yes, it is the dramatic reveal of who is with me. For the you know, people that are out there listening, it's like, oh, is it going to be way? Is it going to be way? Yes, it's way. Well, you know what it's like. Like we sit down, we sit down here every Monday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, whatever night. You know, a bunch of people are in the room in the Zoom chat right now. Hello, all the Zoom people. It can feel like a bit of a rush. Like we're okay. Let's get to this thing right away. But you start the show, and then you're like. Let's take a breath. What are we doing here? Let's think about the reason why we are doing this. That and Those are questions it, I asked myself no less than 75 times tonight. Well, it's, it's, it's especially important, yeah, when you're about to talk about a show like this. So, yes. So much to discuss. A landmark edition of Raw. Uh, twists, turns, cliffhangers. Television at its finest. Breezed by... At the end, I was demanding a fourth hour. Such complexities. Uh, next week, so much set up. I mean, the, just the layers way. I mean, you may as well call this the onion of professional wrestling because it truly uh, laughable, but also just so, so deep. And I was brought to tears by the the uncovering of this particular onion tonight. It, do you think you could ever say the exact same block of words that you just said, if you weren't being sarcastic, like would there be anything that you would actually feel that way about? Way legitimately, I, I am never sarcastic. Okay. Huh. All right. Yeah. Well, I love this raw. I loved it, man. I'm so. glad. I'm glad it was a. It was an award. It was an award-winning episode of Raw. It might. It might come up. Uh, I can't even say that. Like I can't. There are sometimes shows that are just horrendous. They fall off a cliff, and the only this was salvage not horrendous. this was not exactly horrendous. exactly because we don't even have the debris of garbage to comment on and have some fun discussing. Like all I'm going to recap for you is 180 minutes tonight. That's what's coming up. Trim the recap then, man. Just like... I, I mean, might. I might. Maybe we'll just read the results and that's it. And people can just assume exactly what we're, we're saying. They can, they can listen to our tone rather than us providing exposition for all of these segments. Or you just leave bigger pauses between the words and let them fill the rest. Well, let's get into... Uh, let's, let's start with the schedule. Uh, I want to start off with the schedule. It's my favorite part of the Monday night shows. Uh, coming up this week... On the Post Wrestling Cafe, folks, we are we are moving, okay? We are taking our Tuesday bonus shows, and they are now a Friday property, starting with Creed 2. 
which is going to be coming out this Friday with myself, Mr. Waiting, and, pause, Ed Boxler joining us as we review our final film in the Rocky series that we began so many films ago over, uh, Jesus, 45 years ago. Yeah, before you, before every, anybody asks, no, this is not going to be a review about Human Clay, Creed's second album. Although it can be, uh, maybe that that's for a future Patreon perk. But um, I'm excited for this. We're we're wrapping up this this this. <coughs> excuse me, I'm getting choked up here. It's sad because we're wrapping up our journey through the Rocky universe, at least for the time being, until they make more. Uh, but it's been what, like a better part of a half a year, John, that we've been through this, and we're going to be wrapping things up, things up with Creed too. I'm fine with it. It's it's been fine to it's been fun to go back and and watch these movies. But I think everything needs an end an end date. You know what I mean? Like I I wouldn't want to do a hundred of these. This has been a nice amount. We've done we've done seven films. Uh, the three a uh, hundred episodes of Rocky. Yeah, we'd probably get quite sick of it. You know That's the way it. we get. We get like a hundred episodes of, of anything at some point. But I've, I've is, said this before with, with like television series, and maybe this is kind of the appeal now of a lot of Netflix films or Netflix shows, I should say. It's all great when someone announces, "Hey, Netflix has just greenlit a series on blank." Well, you know what? As much as I want to hear the premiere date, I want to hear the end date. All right, we're giving them three seasons in out. Okay, that's what I want to know. I I don't want a a litany of Grey's Anatomy that just are going to outlive me. There will always be an episode of Grey's Anatomy next week. Don't need it. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. When I think about like all the best series of all time, I think they all definitely ended. You know, you can't really consider a series to be among the greats if they don't stick the landing. And um, like. I think about like Breaking Bad, which I to me is like the best series ever, start to finish, you know, including the end. And and because they like they nailed it, they didn't overstay their welcome, and there was a definitive end, you know, like they they didn't just kind of carry on for the sake of like wanting to sign another contract or something. Um, so maybe you you're onto something. Maybe Dave all... Chappelle, Dave Chappelle knew this. Get out. Oh, Chappelle definitely had more left in it though. That to his credit, good for him, dude. To this well, day, people when The Sopranos get brought up, people criticize that like one of the greatest shows that has been produced of the last thirty years. Dude, the ending, ending's actually fine. Like, get over it. But still, that's how much stock is placed on the ending. One mm-hmm. scene in a, a oh. series that was largely brilliant. Well, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, a perfect example. Have you watched the finale yet? No, but. Spoil away. Well, okay. Well, I'm not going to tell you what's what's going on necessarily. There's really not that much to spoil. Like you know what's going to happen. He gets the shield, everybody. Okay, but um, like a lot of people looking and ourselves included in our review. Me, Wh, and Nate reviewed this over the weekend on MCU later. Um, but um, we you know felt like, or at least I felt like the the finale wasn't as strong as the rest of the series. And I would say, uh, the tomato meter would agree with me and, and seemingly a lot of people agree and it kind of definitely affects my overall enjoyment now of, of the whole thing but i still enjoyed the entire ride so what were we talking about here creed friday everybody join the post wrestling cafe it is towards the end of the month but we hope you stick around because next month we've got so much going on so 
uh, support post wrestling and get some free shows. That's right. Uh, some other highlights this week. On Thursday, on Bushby and Thompson's Wrestling Adventure, they're reviewing the Rise and Fall of ECW DVD. And joining them will be, uh, I would say, an ECW expert in John Lister, who wrote uh, the book Turning the Tables, which was a great book on the history of ECW that I would uh, encourage you to go seek out if you're interested in a lot of the uh, historical uh, reference points of ECW. Uh, They will be chatting on Thursday's edition of the On the British Wrestling Experience feed. Friday, we have got Rewind to SmackDown live at 10.15 Eastern Time. And there's something else on Friday. Post. Well, Rewind to SmackDown. I said that. Oh, okay. So there may, there may, I think you're thinking of a bonus edition of Post Pro Res. Is that what you're nope. thinking about? Nope. I'm not thinking about that either. Okay. Um, <laughs> somewhere. There is another show that's coming on out Friday? on Friday. I, I should definitely uh, refer to my own schedule every now and then, uh, which has it. Uh, we'll also have uh, the co-creators of Dark Side of the Ring joining us later this week. Way and I are going to be chatting with Jason Eisner and Evan Husney about the forthcoming season that will be uh, premiering a week from Thursday. I think every week we should try to make a game of this, you know, if, see if we can re- remember our own schedule. Show you know what? Show. It's the Creed review. The, the the move to Friday was screwing me up. So it's it's the Creed review and Rewind to SmackDown that are Fridays. Dude, I'm well, done. I'm done, okay? My my brain is just gone after the last three hours. This is the, probably the most confusing show-plugging segment. You know what? Just go to been. postwrestling.com. If you, if you give a shit, you'll listen to all of our shows. If you don't, then you know what? We won't hold it against you. Fair. Sure. Yeah. You'll probably get a bunch of bonus shows. You will probably release Rewind to SmackDown on uh, Tuesday at like 5.15 p.m. or something. Just to screw everything up. Yeah. Postwrestling.com. It's got the whole schedule for you. Let's move on over to some news updates. Uh, This will be a story over the next days to unfold, but it appears that the NHL's uh, secondary television package looks to be going to Turner. Um, a lot of people, uh, this, uh, you know, reporting on Monday was that uh, NBC had withdrawn themselves from the, the talks. And then at one point it was looking like Fox was going to be the front runner, but it appears now that, that Turner is going to get the package. And uh, John Orand at Sports Business Journal is reporting that a deal could be announced as early as Tuesday. Now, what's most interesting is where these Pack, where this package lands within the Turner family. Certainly, you look at their, you know, their prime network of TNT, and if you are moving what has been, you know, this is the NBC package, which has been, uh, they have been with the NHL and had a 16-year relationship. Wednesday night is a big night for hockey, as we have documented over the past uh, number of weeks and months. If it's TBS, then it really has no impact, but it becomes very interesting if they're going to be loading up TNT with games. So that's going to be the most interesting part of the announcement is where these games are slotted uh, because it definitely could create um, programming issues if if TNT is going to be diving into hockey. Definitely. Isn't this funny? You know, like we when NXT moved, I think a lot of us thought part of the reason was because the NHL was moving NXT from Wednesday to Tuesday. Now it looks like it might be affecting the other show. 
Possible. Yeah. Unless it's, you know, it's just TBS and then this is all for naught. But yeah, it could because and it's a lot less flexible as well. Like if you're looking at, you know, TNT could always say that, hey, we've got our Wednesday night programming. We'll move the NHL around. But, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays, that is earmarked for the NBA. So if you were ever to have to move AEW, I mean, there's only so many nights of the week and we would likely be back into a head to head scenario. Now, we may be getting way ahead of ourselves uh, on that. So I think we should wait till this deal is officially announced and then go from there. But this is very interesting. And I think what's what's lost in this, um, if you are looking at this from the wrestling perspective, is that the NHL, they split up their rights between ESPN and Turner, and they are going from their previous package with NBC of $300 million a year to six twenty five per year that they'll be getting with these two deals. So it was a given. The NFL was going to get massive rights increases, Major League Baseball, NBA. You would expect that even in a pandemic. The NHL, I thought, was a more interesting one that I thought would get a, a lift, but how much of one? And I would say that, you know, the NHL and WWE – you might not say are comparable, but they're certainly much closer in scope than with WWE and other major sports leagues. So I think if you are WWE, this is a very positive sign that the NHL is getting is more than doubling their, their rights at this time. You're definitely right from like a financial perspective, but I, I suppose in my mind, man, the two worlds of man, I can't even name you a hockey player right now. Felix Pod fan. In the seat. <laughs> that's, in the, that's your reference that's the only hot, hot that's the newest hockey player i know from 1990 1992 <laughs> <laughs> but the world of felix Potfan and the fiend are so far apart that i i would not even think to make that that sort of comparison but that's why you 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 do the job you do john uh it's very interesting yeah so certainly that could be a very Big story this week as we uh, move on. Uh, Rebellion on Sunday night. Can, can uh, I just say, I, yep, like Renee has already been campaigning to do like backstage interviews for TNT if they get it, get it. Uh, and I certainly hope that that plays out because like I think it would be perfect. How cute would it be? Both husband and wife on TNT, both achieving their dream jobs. I think I think Renee would be absolutely perfect for that role. She would she would fit in great. So yeah, we will see. Um, did you get to see any of Rebellion on Sunday night? Yeah, I saw the main event and I saw, I kind of skimmed through the rest. But um, if you wanted to talk about anything, please. I think it, it was a show that I thought was a it was a good show. Um, a lot of the undercard, it was like I have nothing to complain about, but also like w I I would definitely recommend the main event. I thought that was hands down the best match on the show, and I liked the X Division opener, and I I enjoyed the Last Man Standing match. I thought those were the three matches that stood out for me. Everything else was just it was fine, passable, but didn't leave a strong impression on me. I I hated that finish with Brian Myers and Matt Cardona, the uh, the fake knee injury spot where the announcers have to uh oh this is real folks this is this this is legit and and trying to just uh, really it, it it was painful to be honest of like trying to convey to you that folks this this is not part of the, the these two guys they're they have a podcast together. Did it have anything to do with the UFC prior? Dude, with Matt Stryker brought up the Chris Weidman injury to compare it. <laughs> it's like this, this is not the Chris Weidman injury. Um, but the main event was what this show was going to be remembered for. I liked the match a lot. It wasn't um, a match of the year contender for me, but 
I thought Mauro Ronaldo added a great presence. I really liked that they saved him for the main event. It Impact did a great job of making this feel important. Mm-hmm. That by the time the bell rang, they set the scene that this felt like an important match with the seconds out there, the introduction by Don Callis, Mauro yeah. Ronaldo is here. I'm sure there were a lot of people on that roster that it was just cool that Mauro Ronaldo is here to call this event for them. Like beyond wrestling, it's like this is the guy that is from Showtime Championship Boxing that they grew up watching Pride. Um, he added a lot to that. And I think that it would be wise to continue and he's your main event announcer for the future. I, I could have gone with two-man booth instead of three. I thought there were some times where there, there was a little like too much of each trying to get their points across that I thought you could have just gone with Moro and Delo or even Moro and Stryker. But nonetheless, I, I, I really like that addition for the presentation and the match was, it, it had some of its, its slip ups. It wasn't a flawless match, but I thought overall it was a great performance by Kenny Omega and you got the outcome. Like they promised you that there was going to be someone leaving with all the titles and they delivered it. They did not screw you on a finish. I enjoyed the match myself too. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, you know, but I also do have to say, like maybe my expectations going in were more so that I was about to see, you know, really good Kenny Omega match. Not necessarily expecting anything that was supposed to be, I don't know, era defining, you know, for Impact Wrestling or anything like that. I came away quite entertained, and I agree with you. I thought more Ronaldo's voice added a really took the match to to the next level, in my opinion. And you know, by the end of it all, I. I was definitely entertained, and and let's remind ourselves: this is the most we've talked about impact uh, outside of, I guess you know, uh, bad news for the company in quite a while. I, I think throughout this whole AEW thing, I think it has reinvigorated some interest in in impact, and um, you know, this pay per view, well, whatever this number ends up being, I think will be indicative of what what that buzz level was for this show. The the buzz is definitely there, and I, I definitely think you know this pay per view will do better than most. But I, I, I as much as I, I think I enjoy, it, and also I really want to give a lot of credit to the production, the video production at Impact. I I think everything that I got to see video package wise was graphics wise, even the look of like that set that they had, everything just looked tremendous. Um, so man, I I think they. I don't know who's like doing all that stuff back there right now, but it's like I think it, in some ways it looks better. In many ways, actually, it outdoes the AEW video production. Um, so they continue to do a great job. And, you know, while I really enjoy kind of these special attractions like Moro and Kenny, I do kind of leave the show wondering what reason I will have to stick around with Impact once they're gone. Mm. You know, like Moro is not a permanent fixture. Kenny is not going to be a permanent fixture, although he will be in the next few weeks or months. So I don't know if Impact has done enough to, like, you know, get a viewer like me to be impressed by the people that are still going to be there. Um, and, but you know, that doesn't mean you shouldn't rely on special attractions too. You know, you, you kind of have to give equal weight, but a lot of the talk I see coming out of this match is that, you know, it was a Kenny Omega match that rich Swan at times was not able to keep up with. And I, it, it you know, it's, it's kind of hard to say like whether or not, mm, ultimately it was like completely beneficial for the company. But I mean, in the end it gave them a lot of attention and probably a decent buy rate. So on the show, they announced like their next uh, several months of specials. They'll be back on May 15th with under siege. Uh, The Dave Meltzer's reported Kenny Omega will be wrestling on that's an impact plus special. Then it's another impact 
Plus special on June the 12th, which will be against all odds. And their next big pay-per-view is in July. No date officially announced yet other than the month. And that will be Slammiversary with a promo. They're going to the exact same um, selling point that they had last year of who is going to show up as we flex our back catalog of talents. We had Samoa Joe in this, Mickey James, Chelsea Green. Kazuchika Okada. Okato. I guess this was was pre-Okato look. Uh, Naito was in this. Muda was in this. And then we had the Australian and Mexican flags as well. So those are all of our teases for Slammiversary. Listen, this worked last year for them. All of this, who's going to show up? It's probably going to work well again this year, especially if you couple it with a Kenny Omega title defense in July. So mm-hmm. I cannot blame Impact for going back to the well um, that WWE replenished for them this year with all these cuts. <laughs> this is like proving to be like the perfect timing for a show, isn't it? On Impact's calendar. See which people WWE fired will show up on our paper. Our 90 day, the 90 day no compete clauses expired just in time. Uh, I am sure this pay-per-view will not happen before July 14th based on that. And therefore, I mean, the, the sky is the limit of who they can bring in off that list. I, I think it, it, it's, a, it's a really smart promotional tactic. Now, you know, last year they gave us who? Like the Good Brothers? Is that who they gave us? That was the uh, You surprise. had the Good Brothers coming in. Brian Myers came in. EC3 showed up. Um, I would say this year there might be higher expectations. You know, pre- predominantly I would say Samoa Joe. Everybody, I, wants I think if Joe doesn't show up, you will. I mean, you've teased Joe and Okada. On this, Okada, I'm which, not like the one New Japan talent. Up. Like I, I don't care what your plans are. Um, just travel wise, that seems ambitious uh, as we're speaking today and where things are in Japan. I suppose it's not impossible because I mean, Finn Juice are the champions, so it's not out of the realm of complete possibility but yeah i'm not talking about just relationship wise i'm just talking about the logistics of travel um and where things will be in july in japan where i mean there's areas of japan that are back under state of emergency okay so how disappointed do you think the crowd will be if samoa joe doesn't show up and confront kenny omega um I, I think Joe is the one in there that will you would be disappointed. And I would think that I I would imagine that if he's in the promo, they at least have the belief that he will be able to show up. Uh because if you can if you can tease Omega and Joe, uh that's that's a huge match for them, potentially. I used to, you know, like I, I used to like just think that okay, Joe is going to to me, like AEW or, or New Japan or like I didn't really consider Impact to be a possibility. But like now seeing Joe in this context where like he can seem incredibly special being the Impact representative to take on this like AEW threat. I'm starting to think it's like it's a pretty nice spot. Like at least, you know, I don't know about money, of course, but like in terms of perception, he might he might be better featured there than in AEW. Yeah, there's a lot of questions there about um just with Joe as well. But I mean, that's going to be the whole hook of these next couple of months is just teasing this of who can show up. And it worked last year. I think it's going to work that much more this year because I think impact is on, uh, I would say quite a bit more on people's radar than they were a year ago. Yes. So, so that everything's worked for them. UFC 261. What did you see of UFC 261? Did you see the injury? (laughs) 
I did not. After you told me in I did big warn capital you. letters, big capital letters. Uh, first, okay, so I, I, I'm like, I'm doing like the the MCU review at night, and then like I was going through some computer trouble, so I was texting John all Saturday evening, and then he first thing he texts me, "Did you see the Weidman injury?" And I said, "No, not yet. Do I want to?" And he writes, "No." Three exclamation marks followed by the no. And I mean, that actually made me want to watch it more. But I ultimately, I mean, I've, I've seen these types of injuries before. Like, I don't need to see it. That, I mean, it like the visual is what is, is going to turn your stomach. Obviously, it's a brutal injury. Um, you know, he had to have a rod inserted uh, for his tibia and also broke his fibula. Uh, he did post an update today that he's looking at eight weeks before he can walk without crutches and training, uh, which sounds like he is looking to make this comeback. Uh, he will be able to train in anywhere from six to 12 months, which is a pretty wide range. He is about to turn 37 years old in June. It's going to be a very long road to recovery for Chris Weidman. It was a brutal injury. Um, you know, it, when when you watch this card, I mean, it was a spectacular show with some of the finishes. Um, the Kamaru Usman knockout of Jorge Masvidal was as violent a knockout as you're going to see. And it was actually John McCarthy brought this up that, listen, this guy has seen probably every injury in the world uh, and had to react in real time. And he said, yes, it's awful what happened to Chris Weidman. It's a terrible injury. But what happened to Jorge Masvidal was probably worse long term. Like the the shot he took, it was just a brutal, brutal shot. And it's, you know, that's that's the kind of long lasting effects like Chris Weidman. I mean, it's a terrible, you know, recovery that he has ahead of him. But it's a very violent sport. That is the summation uh, of this. If you have not seen it, um, Sports Business Journal is reporting that this show on Saturday did uh, it, domestically. Uh, around 700,000 buys. So that is a huge number. UFC is going to do some unbelievable business this year on pay-per-view. I think next month will be probably a pretty strong card with, with Nate Diaz coming back. And then July is going to be a monster with Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. And now, I mean, maybe Daniel Cormier, who confronted Jake Paul at the pay-per-view on Saturday, is willing to fight Jake Paul if it's an MMA fight. He'll even cut down to 205 pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll see if that happens. Um, I'm sure. Dude, Jake, a lot Jake of Paul, you can say whatever you want. That guy showing up on Saturday for himself was absolutely brilliant. And mm-hmm. like Daniel Cormier even like pretty much noted today that he got worked into a shoot. He knows that he got strung along here and he has totally fallen into like Jake Paul for the second weekend in a row was like the most talked about figure in combat sports. Like on Saturday, the chance for him in that arena were deafening and coming out of it. I mean, he was all over people's like discussion points on Saturday night and throughout Sunday that this guy, his goal is to just increase his profile and just utilizing all of these tactics. And these MMA fighters are like kittens coming to milk because they are just so, um, turned off by this guy but it's like you're playing his game and you're watching it happen i mean you can't necessarily knock the the marketing chops of jake paul and it's it's interesting to hear dana white who has been asked about him constantly this week obviously 
And it's like Dana White will trash Triller as a freak show, but he is not being dismissive of Jake Paul. Whether that is him keeping the door open of ever doing business with this guy down the road or genuinely sees what he is doing and has some appreciation for it, it is interesting to note that that Dana White is not trashing this guy, um, even though, I mean, Jake Paul is very much trying to use MMA to his benefit, and it has worked so far. I think, you know, and I don't even know that much about the the Paul brothers' careers, but I think just judging by their reputation, these are two people who probably understand a thing or two about getting heat in uh, various forms of media. And uh, they probably have some very savvy people who are, you know, directing some of their moves. Um, and they happen to have found themselves in a medium of combat sports that rewards very financially strongly people who are good at trolling. They've found the perfect sport. And I mean, the only thing, of course, is that they're able to pick the right opponent so that they can actually keep these things going. I don't really see Daniel Cormier in an MMA fight being that uh, option for them. So I don't see that fight ever happening. I mean, I'm actually surprised Cormier is not even vying for a boxing fight because I I think he would do pretty well. And the last thing is A&E had their biography on Roddy Piper on Sunday night. Did you get to see any of it? I saw most of it. I actually, uh, I, I watched the 24 on Miz as well. If we could talk a bit, a bit about that. Okay, sure. I, I did not see that, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, on Piper, I thought this one to me, I liked the fact that unlike the Austin one, they dealt heavily with his personal life. Uh, and I thought his family were just like the stars of the documentary. His, his wife, Kitty, just sounded like a saint of a woman. Um, and, and I thought that they interviewed uh, three of his four children, and I've interviewed Colt and Ariel in the past, and I think Ariel in particular is just a tremendous speaker, and she's dabbled into pro wrestling, but she's just like got such a natural, great, um, just very good interview subject, I thought, throughout this. And I thought like the, the home videos really humanized Roddy Piper, and I liked the fact that there was more of a focus on that because... The wrestling portion of Roddy Piper, there is so much fiction that he has just created for himself that I think he honestly was not able to decipher the two. That was actually the basis of his book was like after he died, his kids finished his book and they wanted to be able to separate the fact from the fiction because it had all just been pretty much processed together in Roddy's mind that you didn't know what was true and what was false and you I would say for this one, much like the comparison point with the Austin doc is that I would say if you are a non-wrestling fan watching this just as an A&E special, I can't say you're you're coming away with this with a positive view of this industry that sounds like it just takes your personal life, puts it in a blender and hits the button until you have nothing left. It's an absolute toll that is taken on the performer, but more so the family that is is left afterwards. And to hear that one clip of his wife on camera stating the one wish he had is that Roddy didn't have to go back to work, that we could just be a family together. That's heartbreaking. And 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 her being so grateful when he died that he was at home and not traveling. He passed away in his sleep next to his wife, and she for that she was so extremely grateful. And and that's a beautiful sentiment, but it also just goes to show you how much time he had probably, you know, they had been separated throughout their adult lives. 
Yeah, I, I'm not saying it's uh, an easy um, decision you make. Like on the one hand, you're weighing this that I am out there making money to give my family the, this life, but at the same time to be, especially in that era, significant and uh, a top level performer, it does require a, a selfishness to be able to be they, to miss all of this. Like that is an inherent part of this. Like you look yeah. at the last person that had to go through an unbelievable schedule, um, someone like a John Cena. And I mean, it was even part of a storyline on, on total Bellas, how he did not, he was on the road constantly. He did every media request. This guy never had days off and he didn't get married. He didn't have kids. And I think to a degree, like that was a, probably a conscious decision on his part to know that I'm going to go full on in this industry and not try and balance the two. And it's, it's an extremely hard life for a family. And I think that to me was more so than anything, the theme of this documentary. I, I, I would, I would say like the, you know, the, the idea of the pro wrestler who kind of has the strained relationship from with his family, because he's been, you know, away traveling so much. It's almost kind of become a stereotype of the professional wrestler ever since beyond the man, ever since the wrestler, you know, where like these themes are, are, are largely profiled. Um, it's also it's something that I really hope has gotten better with time, but something, you know, makes me wonder. Like it's a traveling business in the end. So how much really can you fix that? Obviously, the the past year, which is interesting different. now, yeah, this last year it has not been so much. Like this is the most these performers, especially in WWE, have had to be at home. That uh, I don't know if that will necessarily be taken into consideration when uh, when cities and states are opened up. That we just snap our fingers and go back to the way things were, but I would say this is the most um, balance that these performers have had in terms of a personal and professional life and having quality time with both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but I, I think there's a common theme in that everybody who does make that sacrifice does it because they also have it to love professional wrestling so much that they're willing to give up you know, like this time with their family to do it. And that's something that the family hit on in this Piper doc where they said that, you know, when, when their dad was at home, when their dad was on the road, they would be missing the family. But when he was at home, you can always tell he was thinking about going back on the road. And it's sort of something, you know, that's sort of a, a bit of a tragedy, but it also tells you the man was trying to juggle like two loves of his life. Um, they, they went into several uh, subjects, um, you know, his drug use, I mean, they did not shy away. They didn't go super deep into it, but they made it clear that of this era of partiers, he was at the top of it. I mean, it was like they pretty much conveyed like this guy was a maniac on, on the road. Um, didn't really get into specifics, but I mean, they did spend the time like about the depression that this guy battled from, you know, childhood trauma and not exactly going much further than that about the, the exact uh, issues that he had coming up, but it was definitely came up with like that trauma that was obviously lasting his entire life. And if there was any like minor surprise, I did not expect them to go into the whole HBO interview in 2003 mm. that led to his firing and more so how it was explained that for those unfamiliar or have not seen the interview, this was a special that aired in June of 2003 and Piper had been interviewed for it prior to coming back to WWE that year at WrestleMania, uh, the year in Seattle. 
And he talked about, you know, the long list of performers that had died, that there's no pension in wrestling. And the the line that everyone remembers from it is Piper saying, I'm not going to make it to 65. And he did not make it to 65. And then this aired, he's with WWE and they let him go based off of these comments. And they did Vince McMahon responded to this in the documentary, pretty much shocked that this is coming out of uh, Piper's mouth. Um, didn't Colt, have much of, didn't have much of an answer no, for the criticism. Th- there was no like refuting of this. It was like Colt is explaining that, listen, the Roddy understood like, this is the industry he's getting into, but it was, he was not like refuted for any of his claims. And I would say that, yes, the, uh, the death toll has certainly gone down. We are not seeing the frequency of deaths that we used to see uh, a generation ago, but in terms of wrestlers being set for life, like they are making more now at, at the top level. Are they underpaid? I would say based on the deals that WWE has now and what their respective percentages uh, for TV and streaming deals, that being 0%. Yes. Yeah. It's, it, there still continues to be, a, I think, a great deal of question in, uh, about all that. But, you know, it's more so the idea that because Vince still very much has a monopoly people who do want to say something about their profession just simply don't have the freedom to. And I mean, Piper, I thought, you know, took a very bold step in while being employed, saying the things that he did. And he was met with termination as I guess you would expect at that point, but it's something that still continues. And we debate almost all the time now about whether or not it would change. Um, I, what did you think about Vince's um, other clip that started the, the Brock, the, the oh, documentary. totally bizarre. Just totally bizarre. It um, was bizarre that he said it. And I think also just as bizarre that the editors, the producers decided to use that to start this show off. You know? Yeah, it, it was it's, just... It's their... Like, I, I don't doubt that he might have had, like, a really dark, twisted sense of humor with Roddy, perhaps. I, I'm just assuming. Otherwise, I can't come up with an explanation for why you would say stuff, something like that. You know, like Roddy joking about having a phone call with Roddy Piper in hell on camera other than the fact that maybe you and him like the two of them probably shared i would hope you know that sort of bond but i have to think the producers of the documentary knew what they were doing by starting off with that right i just thought it was really weird i can't say i thought it was offensive i can i can see where people might uh take it that way i I just thought thought it it made vince look so bad and insensitive don't you and this is a wwe like you know like cooperated production well, I mean, the same weekend, Dana White was immediately tweeting out Chris Weidman's injury and then noting uh, the first fighter to win a UFC fight without a strike being thrown. He, yeah, well, uh, Twitter is not Dana's friend, I don't think. What hey, about this- the answering machine uh, message that Hulk Hogan received that they played the audio of? Okay, here's the thing. He could, the man could be telling the truth. I almost want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but because it's coming from Terry Balea, I, I just can't trust anything. I, and I just, why would he lie about that though? What a weirdo if he were to lie about that, right? I mean, if you read Hogan's first book, I mean, there's plenty of things he completely makes out of, out of thin air. Um, though, um, like, do you realize the timing of where, what that message was 
why that message was being sent to Hogan at that time. No, why? Roddy Piper dies on July 31st of 2015. What has just happened? July 20... I, I don't know. I'm terrible with dates. This is why, This is right after Hogan was fired, after the tape came out. Oh, okay. And okay. Piper, one of his... I think his last interview, or at least one of his last ones, was TMZ catching up with him and him offering his support to Hogan. So this was a message in support of that. And Hogan actually referenced this when talking about Piper being fired over the HBO deal. When Hogan joked that I've been fired a few times, like, no, you were fired once and it was definitely different circumstances. <laughs> yeah, definitely. was Very different, yeah, definitely Terry. Was. Very different. <laughs> so that part was um, very strange. I did like the fact like they focused more than I thought on his pre WWF career. Like they went into like the Los Angeles footage that they were able to get Um and even interviewing like a historian like Rock Rims, uh, that part was cool. They had stuff on Portland, stuff on Mid Atlantic, Georgia Championship Wrestling, where he really became a a national name when he was uh, announcing with Gordon Soley and then doing the whole heel character before uh, going to the WWF at the end of '83, and then a lot of focus on the war to settle the score and first WrestleMania. But uh, for, for this one, like I I'm sure you can take something out of it from the wrestling end. But to me, I was, I was much more engaged with like the, the family aspect and hearing from the family members. I thought that was uh, the strength of this documentary foremost of kind of separating the wrestling from who this guy actually was. And I thought the home videos were a really nice touch. Mm-hmm. I thought it was well done. And I think the consensus seems to be that it's better than the Austin one, which I would agree with. Next week is Randy Savage. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you uh, want to quickly chat about the Miz one? I have not seen this, but it uh, this went up on Sunday on the WWE Network. Yeah, it's a 24 about the Miz, and this is on the WWE Network. And honestly, like they release so many of these now that a lot of them go underneath my radar. So I didn't really give too much thought to this one until I saw John Cena tweet about it and recommend it. And listen, the man does not tweet about things too often. Uh, that make any sense and you know certainly not straight up tweets like this so when john cena recommends something i actually kind of paid attention so this gave me some interest to go and watch it and i've always been a fan of the 24 type of production and maybe contrasting it to you know the steve austin uh, biography that we saw last week you know wwe tends to know the audience that they're doing these for so they get a, a lot more in depth about specific incidents that your typical mainstream you know viewer of a and is not going to care what, about so in this i thought it was a very comprehensive look at a guy who honestly i don't think a whole lot about outside of mondays you know i think the perception of the miz uh, for most people who might listen to this podcast is just the man's a, a bit of an annoyance you know he's not a great wrestler uh, people, I think, respect his promo. They've come to do that. But I don't know if they look back on his career so fondly. So I thought this documentary did a great job of, I think, making a very comprehensive you know, look at the highlights of his career. Um, some exceptional like um, triumphs, like main eventing WrestleMania. Um, you know, great, I think, you know, incredibly respectful performances like we got to see with uh, Daniel Bryan and Talking Smack. But I would say the overall theme is that this is a guy who, you know, nobody really kind of gives, everybody always under uh, underestimates. And through that underestimation, he always is motivated to do more. 
And it starts off with like them talking about this guy coming in from the real world, how, you know, on the show, he kind of created the character of the Miz because nobody on the show liked him. And this exaggerated kind of like raw version of himself is what people start to gravitate to. Then, you know, they get into like trying to get into the WWE, they get into tough enough, he ends up losing tough enough, but still impresses the people enough to get a deep south contract. And then it just like kind of goes on and on. He gets brought onto TV, but is he's brought on to be a host. In fact, Vince McMahon's pitch is that I want you to be the Ryan Seacrest of the WWE, which of course is disappointing to any wrestler who, you know, like The Miz would rather be The Rock. But nonetheless, like he takes a shitty position and really makes the most of it to the point where, I mean, the man met his wife doing this. And it's actually incredibly sweet seeing like Maurice's tryout in the Diva Search because, you know, this was the moment that husband and wife met for the first time and it's captured on camera so they talk a lot about their relationship between the two and um they seem like an absolutely wonderful couple perfectly matched together but then they like you know talk about his rise with john morrison doing the dirt sheet just on their own through youtube uh it's it's honestly like little kind of facets that i forget that ultimately kind of shaped this guy to feel like a real underdog who has really clawed his way through this like wwe system some of the most interesting stuff in this documentary is they showed footage from vince's promo class when vince was teaching promo class and like they Did had teach like, you how to have a one-sided phone call uh that might have been uh, on the cutting room floor on this one um unlike the a and a and e one but you know it's like vince used to like i apparently like tell everybody to just like he would pick two people to come up on stage to have promo battles and they didn't really show all that, but one week he gave a, an assignment to everybody to have a promo ready, and he saved The Miz for last, and The Miz ends up cutting this great promo on the entire roster sitting in this promo class, and everybody gives him a standing ovation, and Vince ends up saying, I saved you for last because I knew you could close. And that ended up being the promo they took to TV that he ended up cutting about like, you know, being bullied and for eating, or being kicked out of the locker room for eating chicken Mm-hmm. he goes into detail about that too and I, i'll tell you like this this documentary does not paint a pretty picture of what the situation backstage is like but in the wwe in that time they all mention that oh, okay it's different right now but there's a real element of hazing that you know certainly existed at, at the time that does not make this company look very professional uh during that period but then of course they talk about the wrestlemania thing it like it really gets into the man's faults which is which i what i really like about this you know like does not kind of shy away from the fact that it was the rock that really the rock and cena that was sort of like the talk of that wrestlemania and um gets into you know talking smack and and how you know behind the scenes like it was a situation where the two of them were very it was unscripted brian was trying to think of ways to dig at the miz and miz just like kind of blacked out and got into this very out-of-body experience that we ended up seeing in this remarkable piece of tv when he cut that promo so I, I I thought it was really well done and a, and a very good, you know, interesting look at some stories that people may not have heard about from him in, in a personal sense. All right. That's great. I'm going to try and uh, watch that at uh, at some point. It's I saw the trailer. It looked it looked interesting. And I thought you'd have a, a very like that to me is a kind of a, a documentary that I think would lend itself very well to someone like The Miz. Like that's to me the most interesting aspect of him of someone who came in who was i mean just a total joke and the fact that here is a guy that has been a total professional for this company has been on television for 15 years 
and consistently as well. This is not a guy that has you know gone down from injuries of any note. I mean, he has been a consistent force that has always been that guy that has been, you know, to um, critics and those who praise him, like a company guy. Exactly. And I think when you see something like this, when you understand, like he, he there's one point where he says, like, whereas most people kind of like look at um, pro, like, what is it? Um, like doing scrums and doing interviews with press as chores. The guy would willingly ask to do these things because he would look at them as opportunities. When you think about like that sort of personality, you understand why the guy gets as many opportunities as he has on TV, you know, being in the movies, being being like like he replaced Randy Orton, you know, like in the movies, because I think they needed somebody who was dependable and somebody who was hungry. And that's certainly what this guy is. Hey, as, as someone that has talked to numerous people that clearly want absolutely nothing to do with uh, this person on the other end of a microphone, I will never complain about someone like that who can understand that this is a part of the job that even on your bad days, you do have to flip that switch on. Yeah, well, the guy looked at it as like a way to practice. Like he, he at least he describes it as, as just something he actually looks forward to. All right. Well, all of that uh, is stuff that you can uh, go check out if you have not already. Uh, on the A&E front, they are putting up the full documentaries on A&E's website and um, is not geo-blocked, at least here in Canada. And it doesn't require anything to sign up for or any cable package to be uh, signed up to. It seems like they are just there to stream on their website. Uh, I don't know what other territories might have any uh, restrictions, but uh, both documentaries, the Austin and Piper one, uh, are up. And as Way mentioned, it's Randy Savage uh, next weekend. Okay, this episode of Raw. First of all, everybody, uh, tonight's Raw brought to you by the brand new cassette, Pollock versus Ting, Volume 1, available to all Ice Cap and Espresso members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Oh, wonderful. Thank you very much, John, for that plug. Yes, some of you guys may not even be aware of this, but we have several Patreon tiers above our base tier of $6 a month. And if you choose to be a patron of our $25 and up tier, you will receive our merchandise that we send out um, pretty much you know, uh, every month. Anytime somebody joins, if you've stayed on for at least three months, I will send you a cassette, an exclusive cassette that you just saw John hold up right there with a never-before-heard podcast where John interviews me on one side and I interview him on one side. Um, and it's got some beautiful cover art, if I will say so myself, designed by myself. And uh, we also get, of course, an exclusive lapel, lapel pin. Do you have one of those with you, John? You know what? I do. Look at that. Look at this. Uh-huh. Let's go into the uh, the official... Check out, Ooh, check out look these at beauties. That. Look at that. Check out these beauties. These are beautiful. Be- beautiful enamel. Only a limited amount of these made. So we'll be sending one of these out along with the tape and stickers and coasters and sleeves. Most important of all, the coffee, post-wrestling coffee sleeve. So if you are an ice cap, $25 and up member of the post-wrestling cafe and you stay on for at least three months, uh, I'll send one of these to you anywhere in the world. All right. We're 50 minutes into the show. I could just sign off now. I think everyone would have gotten their money's worth. It's what Rewind Around might turn into. But we do have a show to talk about. So this show began with uh, the perfect, instead of like the warning at the beginning of what you're about to experience, we got the visual warning of what was to come with T-Bar and Mace starting off the show. 
sans masks, but instead face paint as we go to an inset promo where Mace tells us no masks, no allegiance, no business, only extinction, uh, which is funny because they would use the term extinction. I thought this was the resurrection of the Ascension. Oh, I thought the same thing. Like they are basically as ridiculous looking. They are as uh, goofy and uh, they are booked as poorly as the Ascension. It's the yeah. Ascension continues. Silly us thinking the elimination of the masks would somehow be a benefit to them. It's like, no, no. dude, these, these guys are pigeonholed if anyone ever was. Then we had the most unnatural uh, conversation between Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman. Braun wants to thank you for helping him out last week and tells Drew, follow my lead out there, kid. Drew then lists off all of the titles he's won. Who is actually the older of the two, you know? I mean, uh, Drew is 36, 35. Braun, okay. I want to say, is... Braun is 37. Okay, so Braun is older by two years. So he would... I guess he is a kid. Yeah. Well, after one man listed off all of the world championships he's won, Braun said, I'm the monster among men. I've destroyed more men than you could imagine. And Braun says, I'm going to beat them alone, unlike you. Last week. So, folks, we are getting an impromptu handicap match. This week, it's Braun Strowman against T-Bar and Mace. You will not believe the twists and turns that we were in store for. Because after T-Bar and Mace beat this guy down, uh, the match is thrown out. What's going to happen? This week, Drew runs out for the save and tells Braun, no thank you? And Braun says, funny guy, huh? And with that, we get an impromptu tag match. That was advertised. The impromptu advertised tag match between these two teams. So uh, Strowman went for the Strowman Express. That led to Adnan Verk, who is just filling his calls with movie references, uh, got in the Jaws line here that they're going to need a bigger boat. And... And by the way, we, we have been informed that, yes, Adan Verk hosts some sort of movie podcast. He's the man. Oh, it's the, it's a very popular. Yeah, that was. Did uh, you mention that last week? Somebody I, mentioned it. I think week. we talked about it when he was hired. It was. Yeah. He, it's with the uh, Metal Arc Media now that have picked up his podcast that he did yeah. prior to going there. So he but loves yeah. movies, everybody. In case you, you, you can know. also use movie references without being an expert as well. Like it's it's not a prerequisite that oh he's got a podcast that's why he knows <laughs> we're going to need a bigger boat. Well, I, what I mean is just like this commentary is just now full of this shit. And yes, we are like post Oscars, but man, like I expect this, I expect a whole lot of it to come. So anyway, we got my favorite here. Strowman ran his shoulder into the post. Then as he's going for the Strowman Express. He runs around, and as Drew is going for a clothesline to T-Bar, T-Bar ducks, and Drew hits his partner, and they both get counted out. T-Bar and Mace are victorious, and then Braun hits Drew with a power slam and yells, Don't ever hit me again! I, I understand, like, the booking here. It's like, the, ultimately, the goal is to have Drew McIntyre on your TV as much as possible for the three hours. And thus you have segments like these, you know, 
Um, I understand it. I think, though, ultimately, it's like, I also wonder, like, what are they doing with this T-Bar and Mace? Like, I, I'm just curious. And there's not even, I'm not even saying that they should They're just opponents. Them. They're just opposition for your pushed acts, like Drew you know, and Braun. This week, I mean, certainly if there's any uh, attempt at making them look dominant, they they certainly did not achieve that. They couldn't even beat Braun Strowman in a two-on-one situation. If they can't beat Drew, okay, I get it. But you can't even beat Braun Strowman in a two-on-one situation. They escape a tag team situation. They escape a further beating from these two via countout. And, man, but in the end, they're just supporting characters, which I think... It's a bit of a shame, because even as supporting characters, I think they could be far more interesting. Certainly in ring. Somebody like Do- Donovan Dijak, you know, like, he is extremely neutered when you place him in this sort of role, because the man does not do any of his cool babyface things that we're used to. And yes, he is a heel, but I would argue that now, watch AEW, like, heels do cool shit all the time, and you still want to boo them. At least I'm interested in watching the matches. They have Donovan Dijak just wrestling like connor and i'm sure connor could be awesome outside of the ascension like on the maybe on the indies connor maybe in AEW, connor would be like amazing put connor in japan i'm sure he'd like be having five-star matches but i know dijak that, fan. That, that, that's a large uh that, that's a fantasy world but yeah sure fine but um, i know dijak can and i think it's silly to like just not have him do cool shit simply because he's a, supposed to be a nothing heel yeah dijakovic is definitely dialed down mace is I mean, Mace is very inexperienced. Like, he is very... He's where you expect. Yeah, yeah he is, you know, best served hidden in, in a match like this. And to be honest, like, he's not so hidden in, in some of these tag matches. Um, Drew then meets with Adam Pierce. He wants a match with Braun. Thankfully, we haven't booked the main event tonight. So there you go. Drew versus Braun later tonight. John Morrison was back for Miz TV, along with Elias and Riker, who are all in the ring. And Miz takes credit, again, for Bad Bunny's concert tour selling out and said that without him, Bad Bunny couldn't sell out a flea market, which was the line Hulk Hogan used on Billy Kidman 20 years ago. Do they have flea markets anymore? Um, well, presently, you sh- I, I have not sure been to a do. flea market. No. Well, we should uh, go to one when, when things open back up. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, Maybe maybe it's like twenty four seven Red Hot Chili Peppers that they're playing. Oh man, yes, they played yeah. their own concert. Um, I I thought this was like not half bad. You can like it, John. You don't have to like be be shy about it. You it can... was like it it was a little bit like overstaying its welcome, but I <laughs> I was fine with these four men all trying to be like in rhythm with one another uh, as Miz and Morrison rapped and. Elias and Riker just kind of sang along. Uh, this was at least a creative skit. I thought they were successful in hitting that sort of unlikable, corny tone that was also cute, like which is like their entire stick. Yeah, I thought this was successful. Then the New Day came out with a crate, uh, a guitar case full of tomatoes, and then they just launched these tomatoes at them. The highlights included one bouncing square off Elias's forehead, and another. That Kofi Kingston, dude, like, Hideo Nomo'd this tomato, and it bounced off the middle rope. And You're getting nearly... at me for Felix Podvan, and you bring up <laughs> Hideo Nomo? Oh, come on. An enduring legend. Uh, and this tomato bounced off the middle rope and almost, like, ricocheted straight into his face. 
It's impressive. You know, then they, they, then they did slow motion replays like this. This is where I want to see their 4K technology for segments like this. Should they just have like a tomato throwing match instead of like a one of these 15 minute things? I would totally be fine. This actually lent itself to Adnan Burke yelling about Rotten Tomatoes. That was pretty good, actually. Yeah. To say. <laughs> For NXT on Tuesday, we've got Kushida and MSK against Legato Del Fantasma, Mercedes Martinez against Dakota Kai, and a sit-down interview with the returning Adam Cole on Tuesday night. Then we have to have the match. The Miz, Elias, and Riker against New Day and Damian Priest. Um, Wood started playing the, tar- the trombone uh, as the babyfaces cleared the ring. Adnan Verk called this a one-sided match so far. Uh, it then proceeded to go another, like, 14 minutes. They got the heat on Kofi Kingston for about a, an hour. Morrison rubbed a tomato in Kingston's face. He came back with an SOS, made the tag. Woods came off the top and was hit with a flying knee by Elias. But it's not just a flying knee. This is where I'm going to take a moment to officially issue a heartfelt apology to Ty Conti. Because in a world where the the DD Ty exists and the Ty KO, <laughs> they pale, pale in comparison to a move that I literally have to call the Symphony. I thought you would love this, Don. I this is this kill, beats the. DD tie? Are you kidding me? This uh, this actually uh, at least makes sense. You the know, symphony, symphony. I think it's brilliant. Actually, come on, we've seen Elias do this knee before. It's a pretty good looking knee. He's never called it anything, and and lo and behold, the name was in front of us. It was in front of our ears this entire time. The symphony. How? I think it's pretty good. Damian Priest kicks Miz off the apron. There's a rope-assisted dive. And then Elias climbs, gets pulled down by Kingston, and Woods catches Riker with an inside cradle in 16 minutes and 49 seconds. So last week, Elias got the pin on Kofi. This week, Woods got the pin on Jackson Riker. 50-50. I love it. Who could win when everything is on the line? Well, it requires you to remember those results, first of all. And I can't tell you that I'll be doing that by the Remember time. when this show had tag champions? Who are they? Who are the tag quick, champions? Quick. quick. AJ? Fuck. I seriously would not have known if you didn't tell me. Wow. <laughs> Who are the SmackDown champs? Uh, uh, the Dirty Dogs. Yes. Wow. That one took me Man, a second. I review this show every week. Damn. I thought this was a f- good, fun TV match. You know, I, I obviously like the main focus in all of this is Damian Priest. And I think he continues to look pretty, pretty strong coming out of it all in ring. He's very impressive when he delivers his lines. Yeah, like they're all anybody who kind of starts off new in the WWE, like has to probably read their lines word for word. And therefore, they come off like very scripted, very dry. Damian but, Priest and Rhea Ripley are going through this now where they yeah. that is what they have to overcome. And it's going to be a hurdle for both of them. But I would say Priest is probably doing pretty well. Like if if he's just out there to read its lines, um, he looks confident when he's doing it. It doesn't really feel like his words, but at least he doesn't screw up the lines. Neither does Ripley, but I think Priest pulls it off better. Sonya Deville opens up a door in the back and welcomes back Charlotte Flair, who had been gone uh, all of zero shows since her suspension. Deville brings her out along with referee Eddie Orengo and. 
says that Charlotte was suspended indefinitely and fined $100,000 for her attack last week, but Sonia feels that Adam Pierce rushed to a decision and did not get Flair's side. So Charlotte apologizes to the management, the fans, and to Arango. She said that instinct just took over, and I'm sorry for manhandling you. Eddie accepts the apology, says, I didn't see Rhea Ripley interfere or else you would have won the match. So DeVille says, the suspension is lifted. You're going to wrestle tonight with Eddie as the referee. And Flair says, well, Eddie just noted it was his mistake. I want an apology. So the referee who got destroyed last week apologizes to Charlotte Flair. Backstage, Adam Pierce is furious. DeVille says all of this came together quickly before the show. And Adam Pierce, the guy who you don't get anything past, said, I don't believe you. They never book this guy to look like a fool. And I love mm. that they're always consistent about it. Like, you do not get anything past this guy. He is, he is seriously, outside of maybe Drew McIntyre, like, he is the most competent babyface that you know the heels are not going to outsmart or make like a fool. Like, they get it so right with Adam Pierce, who is, in the grand scheme of things, a, a minor character on the shows. That is very true. It's it's incredibly rare for them to book a non-champion babyface as a competent person. Like, how many GMs have we been through that have just been completely just, you know, either been easily bullied or just, like, straight-up heels? Adam Pierce is somebody who refuses to stand out even to Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns still really hasn't given Adam Pierce his comeuppance, you know? So, like, Adam Pierce is just, like... Standing tall, he won't take shit from anybody. So I'm really curious to see what's going on between him and Sonya Deville. They've been slowly building it, giving you just little hints here and there. Tonight was probably as blatant of a descent, you know, between the two as we've had. But uh, it's just like some careful storytelling with like long-term goals. And I look forward to seeing what happens. I also really like Charlotte's promo here. I I felt like she didn't come out delivering like a, a cartoonish, complaining type of like apology. But like she came out here like threw in a subtle dig for uh, manhandling the referee and then like just gave an apology before demanding an apology from the, the person the other way around. So I thought she did well too. Pierce met with Braun and Braun noted that he didn't lose in the triple threat a few weeks ago. So he should still be in contention for this title match at backlash. So when he beats Drew tonight, he wants to be in a triple threat at backlash and tells Pierce, do you have to go ask Sonya for permission? But Pierce agrees to this stipulation. So if Braun wins, it's a triple threat at WrestleMania, dot, dot, dot. Sheamus is out for his open challenge. Once again, it's answered by Umberto Carrillo. And Sheamus jumps him, but Carrillo makes a comeback, hits this awesome suicide dive. And Sheamus flies over the desk, and Carrillo walks out. So it looks like we will eventually get a title match between these two with the second week in a row of physicality. This week, Carrillo getting his revenge. So this was Sheamus, again, issuing an open challenge. Where the title isn't on the line. (laughs) Non-title, yeah, I understand. But at the very least, I thought we'd get a match. I thought that's what Humberto Carrillo was coming out here to do. You know, he came out here, yes, and he attacked Sheamus. Then the guy just walks up to the back. Like, is he oh, not He's here smart. To... He's going to get a title match out of it without uh, exerting himself. Who needs a non-title so match? Why even? why are they calling these open challenges? Like, they are giving the audience the anticipation that uh, of a match that we're about to see. Yet, two weeks in a row, we're, like, these are just kind of 
sequences. Well, maybe that's what they should call it, the open sequence. The open physical confrontation challenge. Uh, we had MVP and Lashley backstage, and MVP had a hot scoop, but he wasn't going to share it with Sarah Schreiber. Schreiber interviewed Rhea Ripley, who was happy to see Charlotte get fined. Maybe our paths will cross. While she's busy with whatever, I'll be the champion. That was about it. There was like nothing Man. of note here. You know, she she is the champion, but they have done such a terrible, terrible job of defining what her character is, whether or not she's even a babyface or a heel. This like, was a babyface interview, and she was the heel later in the match. Well, I think this was supposed to be a heel interview, unfortunately, John. Mocking Charlotte Flair? Yeah. Who's the I bigger she, heel? So I'll, yeah, I think so. I don't know. Okay. Like, it, it's been very confusing. Um, and it can really go either way. Like when she stepped onto the heel side on the, in the match, I was like, what? <laughs> like, I was like, oh, that's confirmation. Like they, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's the scripting or the delivery, but like, man, it's just like, they've done a really bad job of like telling you who this person is and they, the belt's on her. How long until she's just Ripley? Maybe at least, uh, after backlash. That's my next step for Rhea Ripley and Damian Priest, I think. It's the only question is whether it's priest or Damien they keep. I think it'll be. I think they'd call him priest, right? I think it'd be. You go with priest, Damien. Yeah, I guess so. Priest. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Bobby Lashley and MVP come out, and they compare Drew to a rolled up dollar bill on the ground that no one wants, and now he's a piece of gum on the bottom of a shoe, which is quite the metamorphosis. Are you one if you saw a five dollar bill on the ground? Are you are you grabbing it? Of course I am. How low of a denomination are you reaching for on the ground, coin wise? Oh, now? Well, now is different. I'm I'm a bit of a bit more of a germaphobe now. That's that's definitely a good. Uh, good I rule. think I'm not I'm not reaching for anything more than a toonie. The other day I saw a ten dollar bill, but I what? left it. Yeah. Seriously? I figured Whoa. it's I always believe that number 1 someone's going to come back looking for it that that lost it. Or number 2 no. I I feel like someone else will get it that needs it more than me. That that's that's my level of thinking. You know that you're an extremely kind-hearted man. Um see and my thinking is somebody less deserving than me will pick it up and use it for nefarious means. So I'm actually doing somebody the world a favor by you could be doing using it, it. you know i well, you're right like, in this in this in this pandemic i'm not touching a bill yeah, i still no, i've yet to touch i've yet to touch a bill or coin since march of last year really i have not wow. touched a bill or i have used nothing but uh but my debit card well, have or you, my have, credit card have you not been in situations where you need cash nope you've not no. even run into like a place where it's like cash only sorry nope i haven't gone to any cash only places wow been nothing but plastic for 13 months. Well, that's incredibly impressive. I haven't got COVID, so I'm winning. <laughs> yeah, no, you're doing it right, John. You are. So I've just and you myself, and bro. you follow the arrows. So I think, dude, I'm, just I, I, I'm a fucking walking pamphlet. Okay, I should be. If only everyone in the province could follow the John Pollock way, <laughs> we'd be in a lot better shape than we're in right you're now. Where would we? Ideal human being. Yeah, I am. I am. Uh, what was next? 
Oh, we got Riddle circling Kevin Patrick. Bunch of high jokes. Orton enters. He doesn't know what planet Riddle's from. He pipes in, I'm from Earth. Shut up. He underestimated Riddle last week, and you have earned my respect. And admits that RK Bro is a bit catchy and suggests that they team up tonight. These two have a unique um, chemistry together. And this was probably like the only interesting thing on the show was these two and I expecting that Randy was just going to murder this guy and didn't, which I liked. Didn't yet. Yes. Well, good. Let let us wait a week. Let us let Mm -hmm. us give a shit about this team before one of them turns on the other. Give me give me me two weeks. That's all I want. Give me two months. You know, like, yeah, Jericho and Owens. Remember that? We all knew that they were going to turn on each other, but they dragged it out for as long as they could. I see the same potential with this. Randy Orton somehow is proving to be the perfect counterbalance to Matt Riddle's just complete annoyance on his own. This could actually be beneficial to both guys if they get a little run oh out of this. This is yeah. great for Randy to rehab himself as the straight guy to play off of Riddle. And for Riddle, this, I, I think, could help him have something of substance uh, beyond references to substances in his promos. Yes. And in ring, we know they already have like a pretty decent chemistry that I, I thought they had. These two could be a really fun tag team together. But, you know, in terms of personalities, this works. Like, having an adult in the room to control Matt Riddle's just completely wild, off-the-wall, completely annoying being, I think kind of makes this work. You know, it's like, they've tried this in the past with Riddle. They've had him with Pete Dunne. I think this works way better, because, like, Randy can play reluctant babysitter. He seems like an authority who would be able to tell this child to not even shut up, just motion with his hand to zip it and the child will listen. Like he knows, he seems like an experienced parent who's like dealt with children like this before, problem childs like this before. So I, I can't wait. I can't wait for Randy to like lure him in and then just execute his plan, completely control this guy. He takes Riddle under his wing and starts talking about his history. And then Riddle explains, I don't believe in evolution. Wow. That would be clever for Matt Riddle. So Nia Jax is with Baszler and Reginald. Baszler doesn't want any more distractions, and she storms off. Jax gets presented with flowers, but they're not from Reginald. In walks Angel Garza, who gives her a kiss on the hand. And as Jax is all uh, just taken aback by these flowers, she's walking down the aisleway, and boom, out of nowhere, she just smashes these flowers into Mandy Rose. Put these in water, bitch. Yeah. I, I thought that I I thought I laughed at this. This came out of nowhere. It was the it was the bitch moment of the week. Hey, Snickers! Snickers should start sponsoring. And now WWE presents the bitch moment of the week. <laughs> it should be a contest of some sort. Like, oh, write in whenever somebody says bitch, and you can enter a draw. This needs to be this needs to be on Reddit. Someone needs to just edit all these clips together. A bitch. Yeah, Let's put them all together. Bitchamania. MB- Bitchamania, yes. Uh, Matthew, MVP- Matthew, get on that. MVP met with Braun. Um, Braun threatened him, and MVP says that if you beat Drew tonight, there's nothing that Lashley will do to stop from winning the title. Something of this. I mangled this. 
He was threatening Braun. Braun was threatening him. They talked. Everyone mm-hmm. got it? Riddle and Randy versus Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin, who are it's, just... It's RK-Bro. RK-Bro versus... Um, save us. Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. Sheldrick. 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 Um, uh No, it doesn't work. They're just creative wrestlers now. You know, like they no longer have any personality. They don't get mic time at all. They have no personality, no affiliation. Shelton and Cedric are just like generic wrestlers. Yeah. That's it. They were they were warm bodies for Riddle and Randy Orton to prance around. Um there was a flying knee to Alexander that was not given a catchy name. Uh Orton's in, power slam. Alexander leaps off the top into an RKO. That was the highlight and probably the highlight for Cedric Alexander for the next six months. Draping DDT on Benjamin riddles in floating bro. And he pins Benjamin in three thirty four. hugs, Randy who shrugs him off. But as Orton is walking up the aisle by himself, he gives a smile and riddle was over the moon that RK bro has formulated. I, I really want to see them drag this out. I think it feels too early for backlash, which is just next week. You know, they, they can extend this for at least a few weeks like, till the next cycle. Yeah, and then do the turn. Rhea Ripley, Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler against Asuka, Naomi, Lana. So the match went 11 minutes, 33 seconds. Uh, it was largely just the heels working over the baby faces. Uh, Ripley hit the riptide on Naomi. But, of course, we had a blind tag, one of, like, a dozen on this show. Lana's in, hits a high cross for a two-count. Jackson shoves Asuka to the floor. Lana uses a twisting crucifix on Ripley, but she gets up, head kick, riptide, and then tags Jax for the leg drop finish, pinning Lana. And at the end of this, out of Asuka, Naomi, and Lana, there was absolutely zero uh, baby faces involved in this match that I wanted to see have matches with the champions, who dominated this and looked very strong. Yeah, so didn't so Naomi and Lana have a win, right? Over them. Don't Somewhere they? in here, yeah. Okay. But it's Mandy Rose and Dana that they're feuding with? Correct. And Tamina and and Natalia also have have a win over them? That's Tamina in the has Smackdown a win? World, yeah. Okay. So there there are a lot a lot of teams, a lot of pieces going around. And, and um, Naya's got uh the dual boyfriend gimmick going too now with Angel Garza and Reginald. Damn. So Naya's very busy. A lot of storylines, yeah. A lot going on. And they're probably going to break up. Could happen. Rose and Brooke were backstage, and DeVille said, you should be ashamed of yourselves, uh, and then brought up her history with Mandy Rose. See, I thought this would have been, like, saved for a bigger moment, you know, like a reunion between Mandy. By the way, is it like, Sonya's just, like, on Raw now as well? She got promoted? Sonya? She's just on both shows, I guess. Just like Pierce. Yeah, Yeah, that they just... Didn't have happen until this week. So there was a brief acknowledgement here of their history before DeVille made a match with Rose taking on Charlotte uh, for later on. Alexa's playground. There was a point, I think was right around here, that I took like a half hour break and it was really tough to come back and restart the show. Oh, you picked the wrong time to take a break. Would have been after this. So... Lily is Alexa's true BFF. She did the boop on the nose and told everyone to look into her eyes and think of dark and twisted thoughts. Repeat after me. Lily, Lily, 
Lily. Then we went through a hypnosis exercise with this peaceful imagery when all of a sudden Lily's face pops up. Um, sorry, in capital letters, it just reads, I hate this show. I forgot that I put this in my notes. Uh, but there's my real time thoughts. I Lily think, is. I think you should just start publishing your notes on the website. That might be the next verbatim. Like, don't maybe even you clean and I will just chat, and then I'll post the notes, and we can skip the review part. Don't even clean it up. Like, just exactly what, what's on the page. <laughs> just in capital letters. I hate yeah. this show. Lily is getting restless, and it's time for me to unleash her to play with the rest of the WWE. But don't blame me. Lily made me do it. So, this is going to get worse because now other people are going to be involved. It's just a question of who. Yeah. I, I think I re- like for me, a, a big problem with these types of segments, and this comes off of watching the Al- first of all, what, what did you think of the Alistair Black thing on Friday? Did you get a chance to watch it? Oh, um, it was interesting. I'm open minded to it. I liked it. Okay. And it's a very similar type of subject matter as to what Alexa Bliss is, is saying here. But a big difference is in the type of production. I mean, Alistair Black has been saying the same thing in his like darkroom promos, but those were pretty awful. But why did Friday seem cool to me? It's the production. It's the pre-production to be exact. It was the glasses. And the glasses, yeah. But I think it's like, you know, the animation, the way they shoot it, like it just looks cooler. I think, I feel like a lot of what they do on Raw and with segments like this or the Firefly Funhouse, they all shoot it the day of, like with their live TV cameras and they just do some quick editing, you know, maybe in in an hour or two and then they put it on air. It feels rushed. And you don't think they went to a they went to the beach or something to to shoot these scenics? No, I don't think. Yeah, no? no, I don't think so. I think they went to Getty or something. But like you know, to me, like the cinematic storytelling requires cinematics. Give me some editing. Give me some better music. Give me some style and technique and proper treatment to try to convey something as complex as whatever she's trying to say right now. And I guarantee you, they'll come across a lot better. I'm not saying you'll save all of these segments. But at least I think they, they, they will help, you know, help somebody suspend disbelief and make these feel a lot less like amateur theater. Um, so, but it also requires a lot more pre-planning. You can't just change the script if you're going to pre-produce and pre-shoot a segment like this. So you can't really just write this at the day of and, and tell somebody to go and shoot it. Uh, Charlotte Flair and Mandy Rose. Um, brief match here. There was a missile drop kick by Rose. Flair is almost thrown into Eddie the referee, but stops short and then lands a boot to Rose. Yells about the slow count. Then a roll up by Mandy. She complains about the slow count and then gets caught with a turnbuckle shot and the natural selection in four minutes and 19 seconds. Yep. Yeah, Moving not on. much of a match here. Just like it, it, they're building something between like the Charlotte, Charlotte versus Eddie. Eddie. This, this referee, yeah. Drew McIntyre is in the back. And the question posed to him, you must not be happy about this stipulation. <laughs> no, no, I'm not, that it might be a three-way. Drew is uh, this month's version of Edge, who is uh, pissed off about a potential three-way match in when he was supposed to be the sole challenger. <laughs> so then Drew says, you know, I thought it was get these hands, not get these handouts. He was supposed to be the monster among men, but he's also the monster complainer. Where was the laugh track here? You don't think Let me one... tell you about Wait, you this guy who wants to get these hands. 
You don't you don't think Jake Paul and Daniel Cormier were having this exact exchange? Oh my gosh. Like seriously, like the dialogue like there needs to be a wholesale change when it comes to what constitutes conflict and what someone would say to somebody in the heat of battle when they are so furious. Like what was what well, were you just describing about how the Miz what he was going through on talking smack. You said he was blacking out, having an out of body experience because he was so angry. And what came through that this felt so genuine. There is no person in the world that wrote this for the Miz or that he memorized these words because it felt real because Miz did not take a pause and state Braun, I thought you were about get these hands not about get these handouts. Let's stop trying to be so goddamn witty. All this dialogue. Make me fearful. Make the, this yeah. opponent be fearful of the words that are coming out of this mouth. Like Daniel Cormier saying, I wanted to grab this man and I wanted to smash his fucking face in the ground. But I was working for the UFC at the time. Don't talk shit about me. Don't let my name come out of your goddamn mouth. I feel like lines like what we saw here would work maybe perfectly if this was like an Archie comic or something like that, you know, or like maybe some sort of, I don't know, comedy like Spider-Man. Drew would be Archie. Drew would probably <laughs> be Archie. Drew would be, who'd be Jughead? Jughead would be Aleister Black. Okay. Would Betty be Charlotte? And sure. then Veronica could be... um Sonia? I don't know. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd watch that. But it's like, it's it's dialogue that like seems to fit completely a different medium than professional wrestling. Especially if it's a single camera, you know, live shot type of professional wrestling. It, 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 it just doesn't really work for the type of sports-like reality that I think they're trying to shoot. Drew McIntyre, Braun Strowman. Uh, the Strowman Express gets called, but it is derailed when Bobby Lashley and MVP come out and the music brings everything to a halt. Uh, these two, to their credit, had like a fine match. It was just, by this point, you're just like under, it feels like you're under just a mountain of program by this point. Drew hit a belly to belly. The Claymore is stopped and Braun catches him with a power bomb for the one, two, Braun's going to WrestleMania backlash. No. Drew hits a spine buster and <laughs> Braun smashes him, like slaps him in the chest, which Corey called the primal concrete sledge to the heart. Which sounds like a terrible, like, 80s rock ballad. Primal concrete sledge to the heart. Okay. Lashley tries to get into the ring. MVP makes a save, allowing Drew to avoid the power slam. But then Braun sends MVP to the floor. Future Shock is hit. When he goes to the Claymore, T-Bar and Mace are back. They grab Drew. This leads to the power slam. Braun wins in 13-21. And Corey says, Braun's going to WrestleMania. Backlash. And that's how it ends. Drew and Braun having the big WrestleMania backlash stare down. And then they point to Lashley just standing on the desk as the backlash sign. <laughs> He's he's playing the role of the He's the human sign, sign holding the title up. <laughs> they literally pointed to him like he was the sign. 
It's WrestleMania the, backlash season. The script, the script calls for pointing. Pointing of some sort at some object, so they had to do it. Yeah. Oh, so there you go. We've got a triple threat on May 16th. Well, I, I, I don't mind the change to the match. I think it offers a bit of variation from what we had at WrestleMania. It might even make the match a little bit better with more heavy hitting, you know, like heavyweights here. Um, the show overall, I felt, was actually a decent way of getting to this result, teasing us with the possibility that this could be a three-way. Lastly, an MVP trying to scheme us away from that possibility with them not wanting it. And then ultimately, I suppose you had the surprise of Mason T-Bar here coming in. Total shock. I mean, what, I, almost, what, I almost fell out of my seat. But, but what is their aim? Like, we know they're not part of the heart, heart business. They are independent. So, so what is it? Like, do they just want to create extinction? Chaos? I'll tell you what's going to happen. They won by countout, so that necessitates a rematch next week where we are going to get the answer to the question, can Drew and Braun coexist? Wow, yeah. Um, can any of them coexist? I don't know. But we're getting another three-way for Backlash. Um, awesome. Yeah, what did you think? Listen, this Raw, to me, it's just there's so little going on in this show. It's like I'm not even overtly critical about it. It's just I'm not interested like for me three hours of whether braun would be inserted to make this a triple threat so we have an out uh to not beat drew or bobby is not keeping me super entertained um i got a kick out of riddle and orton um and that's what i can say about three hours i just i do not have this feeling for any other wrestling shows i do not feel this after smackdown nxt aew any any company i do not have anything like the the drag of raw and this is from someone that watches raw every single week this is not the usual three hour uh marathon it's just listen raw has its hits and misses but this to me it just feels like there is just so little ideas being generated as a whole like if i were to Mm -hmm. ask you hey i missed raw what happened i think you could summarize it in 45 seconds man we used to do like the raw in three minutes and even three minutes was too much time some weeks yeah, no, you're right. Like the ultimately the hook of whether or not Braun Strowman will be part of this three-way is really not enough. It might be enough for like a 10-minute segment, but to kind of drag it up for 3 hours, I will say like I think is really just for them fulfills the aim of filling these 3 hours with something that might be relevant towards the end of the pay-per-view. For me a big pro- part of the problem with Raw is and SmackDown is the fact that none of the matches matter at all the results of the matches you know don't matter you know like the the action you know even if it is if it does contain good wrestlers you know the style of match is going to be incredibly formulaic and and three quarters of the time you're not even going to get a finish so why would i invest myself in the majority of the show which is still the wrestling um to me like raw might be worth watching occasionally for some promos but the wrestling is just there to fill time and it shouldn't be because that's not what pro wrestling should be. It should be exciting. It should be, you know, conclusive on its own to give you movement in a, in a storyline. But they use wrestling to just fill time. And that's really unfortunate for the, for the performers. And I think it contributes to, to the drag of this three-hour show. So let's wind things down with the forum. Tonight's show got a 3.45 out of 10. Nick from Boston, it's kind of incredible that WWE keeps stumbling onto metaphors of how dire their Monday night show has become. First it was trash bags, and now it's literal rotten tomatoes. The amount of wasted produce alone is reason enough to rate this show poorly. 
I did like a few things. RK Bro has potential, and I can see their odd couple chemistry really getting over as the relationship develops. Hopefully, Randy's not rushed into a turn, and they can get a shot at the titles once we've located AJ and Omos. Charlotte's heel work continues to impress, and I enjoyed seeing more of Sonya as a authority figure. I really want to like Adnan Virk. Outside of WWE, he has such a magnetic and kind personality, but as of right now, it's looking rough. I fully empathize with him learning on the job, and I hope he gets plenty of time to improve. It was always going to be tough with McAfee starting on the opposite brand. I don't think we need to empathize with somebody like I empathize with him being put into this position. Yes, but he also chose this job. It's not like he didn't know, like he should have known what he was getting into. So like, I, I think we should be free to criticize if he's not like up to the standard. Anyway, Kate says, has anybody checked on AJ and Amos to make sure they're okay? I feel like no one is taking their disappearance seriously. This episode felt like a slog, despite the fact that I was only half paying attention for the first half hour or so. I think a large part of the problem is that stories are being advanced at a pace that could generously be called glacial. Tonight, we got the birth of the undoubtedly doomed RK bro, Charlotte's reinstatement slash Sonya's insubordination, and Braun being added to the main event of WrestleMania backwash. The bulk of the show was treading water, rehashing things we've been seeing for at least a couple of weeks. I haven't heard it yet, but I already know what your review and commentary, that your review and commentary will be better than the actual show. Well, of course, that's a given. Of We're course, amazing. yes. <laughs> Alexander from Portland is our final one. Last week, Drew won a handicap match by DQ. Then he lost a tag match by DQ. Tonight, he loses a tag match by countout and a one-on-one match via shenanigans. This builds up a triple threat championship match where the champion doesn't have to be involved in the finish of the match to lose their title. This overbooking is exhausting, but are any of the other champions better? AJ and Omos have been off TV for three weeks, and WWE isn't even trying to explain why. And one of the women's tag champions has a gimmick where she slips and falls. I don't even remember the last time I saw R-Truth and the 24-7 title. While tonight was dull, it felt remarkably better than the past few weeks. Four dark, twisted thoughts out of ten. Yeah, I think we totally skimmed over that segment that at the end of the women's six-person tag was the bucket of water from Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose so that Nia could slip again. It was hilarious. It was awesome. Uh, can you see the WWE selling Lily dolls? I think that's a given, 100%. Yeah, in fact, like the more I think about it, I, I think the whole reason for this Lily thing is because they know they have a marketing machine, a merchandise machine with the Fiend, and then they want to make two of them. That they want a second, yep. In fact, they're literally just selling you a toy like as, as a main character, so maybe a bunch of Lilies. Well... Uh, that brings an end to the show. Uh, if you want to go check out now, uh, I have a lengthy review of the Roddy Piper documentary. If you want to, uh, look at that, uh, beyond way and I's, uh, thoughts on it. So that is up on the website along with all of your latest news Tuesday night, Braden and Davey will be live right after NXT at 10, 15 Eastern at twitch.tv slash up next podcast. And they are, they're on the move. Literally, yes. They move nights, and they're going to physically move. They are in the midst of moving the BDE. Yeah, they wanted to follow suit with NXT, and they are up and moving. So uh, good luck to them on that. Wayne and I will be back on it, Wednesday it's, night. It's, it's strange, because NXT is, you know, we thought was moving away from sports. They will be moving closer to sports. Yes, although there's no sports happening in that building. Not right now, no. So it's very quiet. Um, so there you go. We'll be back on Wednesday night live for our double-double ice cap and espresso patrons, 10, 15 Eastern 
And of course, from now until Wednesday, I'm going to be listening to this, the brand new Pollock versus Ting cassette volume one. You have a cassette player? I do have a cassette player right over there. So well, maybe I'll, I'll give it a listen. Awesome. That is it for us, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And we're now going to end the show.